By staying home, you can not only protect your health and that of those around you, but ensure that our healthcare professionals and our healthcare systems can focus on those who need their help. Hello and welcome to Corona Movie Club, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Um, so we have a schedule of movies and we're all going to watch them independently in our own socially isolated homes and then three times a week we're going to get together over the internet and talk about them just like your mom's old book club used to do. Um, except now there's nothing old about it because it's all over the internet and we're all social isolating so that we don't help spread the coronavirus around the universe. Um, so we have people from all over North America who are participating and there's going to be different people on each call from the uh, core group. And so every episode, I'm going to come in and introduce the film that we're going to be watching, as well as the names of the people that are going to be on that week's call or that episode's call, because we're going to be doing this three times a week. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy. Let's go to the movies. It's something to do. In this episode, we're taking a break from the gloom and doom a little bit and taking a deep tour back into the 90s to the 1995 comedy Clueless, uh, written and directed by Amy Heckerling. Uh, this movie is based on Jane Austen's Emma, uh, so we talk about that quite a bit um, in the episode, and it's just an absolute delight. There's also a new Emma movie that came out that very recently, just this year. Like it was the last movie I saw uh, before quarantine started. So um, it's sort of a really fun comparison to make. Uh, it's just a really fun movie, Clueless. I perfectly cast, really sharply written, very much of its time. So it's got a couple thing, couple notes on which it hasn't aged perfectly but there's a lot that is remarkably prescient about it um so on this particular call is me kelly bedard um, as well as nicole falgu susan bond and matthew yipchuk so i hope you enjoy i told my mom about corona movie club and she was very confused and a little bit concerned <laughs> she's like i thought you're not supposed to get up in groups i'm like oh no <laughs> gene there are no groups <laughs> all the all the old people who don't understand zoom i, I just and it's, she's a computer programmer i'm like gene oh. you know oh, wow. you know technology stop it and then she's like well what do you talk about so i told her about her horse girl and snowpiercer and she's like so you watch sad movies the whole time? <laughs> no, we're starting fun movies now. I told her. It's fun like, movie time. She's like, what is Clueless about? <laughs> like, well, what is Clueless about? I know, right? I mean, why don't we just, we're start, we'll start a minute early. And if anyone joins, okay. they join. Um, serious question. What is Clueless about, guys? <laughs> Uh, oh. I feel like it's about everything and nothing simultaneously. That's a good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. I will always remember that in my major British writers class in undergrad, our instructor said it was the best cinematic adaptation of the Jane Austen novel Emma. Yep, uh, which was I notable to because it was a, a like a not a film of Emma came out that year too. So it's not the only was one. Was it the same year as the Gwyneth yeah. Paltrow? 
Uh, Ooh, no, shady. Gwyneth Paltrow is the same year as my class where that statement was made. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. I was going to say, wait, what? Yeah, so, I feel like there was like maybe two years between them or something. Like, yeah. I know nothing about Emma. How is it similar? Or what are the tips? Like, it's, just watching you know this. How, I, you know how Bridget Jones is Pride and Prejudice? It's like beat for beat or like she's the man is Twelfth Night, that kind yes. of thing. Yeah, wait, beat what? for oh, okay. beat, it's the exact story. <laughs> like, we, do we really have to help you with the the 90s and early aughts movies that are basically recapitulations of Jane Austen? Because, like, there's a list. Well, maybe it helps. They, they need two, two where they did it with Shakespeare, and I feel like that's maybe yeah. more your thing. Uh, yeah, the Shakespeare <laughs> Very Yeah. So I guess I'm just watching. about you to Taming, and then she's, she's yes. the man to Twelfth Night. It's the same Lion idea. King and Hamlet. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, don't and, get him started on that. <laughs> Lion King is Lion King is more the Hen Lion King is more the Henry Act because it's more mirroring like Henry IV like Part it. One. Yeah, I but like I'm it. yeah, I, I'm I'm writing a video about that. I have hey, strong I'm thoughts about that. I'm yeah. here for it. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely. I mean, I see what you're saying, but it's also definitely Hamlet. Like it's it's kind <laughs> of Hamlet because there's a dead dad who comes back as a ghost, but like mostly just it's for evil uncle. arc and like there who marries the uncle, mom and like it's a whole thing whole man thing. <laughs> well he doesn't really marry her he takes control she of the tribe but like Simba's whole thing is that he like runs away from his responsibilities and lives like an irresponsible lifestyle with his bad influenced friends and then the journey of the story is him having to like have his father figure call him back to take the, like to take the throne which is if Henry V. The, the person who wrote Henry the Ford. screenplay had actually seen both plays. <laughs> well, right? Lion King's like, awesome because it's all the Shakespeare just combined. There you go. So good, yeah. Next thing you know, The Lion King is actually every work ever written by William Shakespeare. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is our thesis. <laughs> There's only so many stories in the world. Um, but like, Clueless... The next hour is talking yeah. about that instead Clu- of... <laughs> Clueless is definitively Emma. Yes, um, <laughs> and I had the same time. thing in in my AP English class. They like assigned um, uh, they said Clueless as like summer movie watching, um, yeah, which was fun because then it really does help with. Um, although I was I watched it this time with I had recently. There's obviously a new Emma movie that just came out. Yes, um, and it's fine. Uh, but I, I had the cast list up on my phone because I was I was trying to figure out if they did the like how many of the names matched up and how many of the people were like exact versions of people. And I would say, with the exception of Elton, it's not as first of all he's the only one who has the character name, but it's not quite as one to one as a lot of the other adaptations are. Um, and there's like a couple extra plot points thrown in there um, and a couple taken out, obviously. But generally, the arc is the same. Um, has anyone seen the new Emma, by the way? I have not yet. It's it's one of those, like, you can get it on our TV for theatrical release, mm-hmm. but we haven't paid the 20 bucks to watch it on our TV. Yeah, it's one of those ones that came out, like, sort of right, it was the last movie I saw before Self-Isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw The Gentleman and Emma in a weird double feature, and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was the day before so, uh, I started. The very you move. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but it, it's fine. Like, it's very, very strictly the book, whereas I think what's cool about Clueless is that it completely captures the spirit of the book, um, but it it updates it, and I, I might argue adds to it. 
I, I think there say. is a depth in clue, like despite the fact that it's it's called Clueless, it's about a vapid teenage girl. I think there is a depth to it and a complexity to all of like it's it's trying to be overly superficial in a way that somehow makes it more complex. Yeah, so and the big revelation is that she realizes she is clueless, right? right? So you know, important self revelation. Exactly. <laughs> Susan, you looked like you were going to say something. <laughs> I don't know. I What I keep reflecting on is how, so I've been thinking a lot about how badly movies from the 90s have typically aged. And this mm. that was a thing that I was surprised by, uh, is that Clueless has aged quite well, actually. There is almost basically nothing. I was it's just the R word. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. R yeah. word. Yeah. Oh, right. And surprisingly, on point, because of her debate speech, Canadians. Yep. So very yeah. telling with the political climate. Mm -hmm. mm. Or the political climate of a few months ago when we were aware that there were other problems in the world and instead of getting a hyper hyper focused on the one right. big mm -hmm. one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, in some ways I felt like it aged What's the opposite of not aging well? It aged too well to the point where I feel like certain things that were supposed to be uh, played for humor, like everyone being on their cell phones all the time at a time when cell phones were like a very like bougie thing to have. Now we just kind of view it and like, it just rolled off my back as a thing that I'm used to seeing instead of just contextualizing right. it as, wow, like when this came out, that would have been like hilarious because everyone right. has a cell phone because they're that rich. Yeah. And the idea that like she uses an app to get dressed in the morning and all that, like they wouldn't have called it an app, but right. that's yeah. what it is. Um, it is it is a kind of oddly prophetic movie in how sort of exaggerated it was at the time. Um, I also think it's funny. I remember um, I studied this in two classes, if you can believe that. Um, but I studied it in a film studies class as well, um, alongside Ridgemont at Fast Times at Richmond High, um, which is Amy mm. Heckerling's other movie. And I remember her doing it, reading an interview with her where she talked about someone wanted her to do this movie. And she said, I'll only do a high, another high school movie if I can do it about the cool kids. Like she wanted it to be specifically sort of a take, not necessarily a takedown. I think it's really um, very human for a takedown and it's very generous towards Cher. But um, she specifically wanted to like explore that world because I think filmmakers generally kind of vibe a little bit more towards wanting to talk about the outsiders and the geeks and because I right. wonder why right um and sort of investigating the popular kids almost like someone on natural national geographic being like and then a wild share emerges it <laughs> <laughs> was also very pokemon of you <laughs> a wild share appears but that's why I pointed to my wine Matt was I went I was like it aged like a fine fine right. wine <laughs> Everything but that, but the use of the R word and that yellow suit she wears. No, 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 no. No, that was that didn't I age well. I don't even know if that was cool in that decade. <laughs> it was the sort of thing that was like she can only pull it off because she's so cool. Like only truly beautiful people can wear yellow. You know, yeah. <laughs> like that lady in Snowpiercer. Yes. Oh yeah, Claude. Yeah, Claude. Look at you bringing back earlier episodes. Yeah. Right. Gold star. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Everyone go check out our Snowpiercer episode, which is not up yet. No. But it will be up before this one, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Um, so does anybody, so Susan, you know Emma and I don't, Matt, I don't. you don't. Okay, I don't does know. anyone? I was supposed to read it. I was supposed to read it in the <laughs> British writers, but I managed to get two English degrees out of U of T without ever having read Jane Austen, and now I never can. <laughs> Boy. Because it's sort of like a point of pride? Yeah, yeah. I you know what though? I, I'd made it I'd made it to the age of I'd made it to the age of 30 having never seen the Star Wars prequels. And I recently oh, no, was no, made no. to watch the Star Wars prequels. And so, so now yeah, that that <laughs> point of pride was taken away from me. Well that's it's different because <laughs> I assume that Jane Austen is great. I mean, she is. <laughs> like, I, she is I believe, great. I, I, don't think, I don't think it would be a waste of my time in any way. I think it would be great. But, like... Yeah. Are you ready for me to unleash the nerdiness? Well, hold on one second. One thing okay. I will say about Jane Austen is I think it's important to note that, like, she is great. And based on my sort of sensibilities, haha, sensibilities, um, <laughs> oh, it, awesome. it really fits with sort of like what I'm interested in. I really like like characters and relationships and drawing room drama, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it is interesting that she's um, sort of considered sort of like high literature when what she was actually making was just like nice rom coms. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why it's so notable how well her work does translate to really just nice rom-coms like Bridget Jones and Clueless and that's what her work is. Um, so it is interesting just there's something about age and like the, the language or something where it got pushed up onto this pedestal and well I don't believe anything should be up on the crazy pedestal it is I think cool to remember that it's really just sort of like pop same thing with Shakespeare right like it's just like it's for the masses it was just populist literature that just for some reason, because it's old, we decided is difficult and not for everyone. Um, yeah, lovely little rom-coms, which mm -hmm. I'm all for. Okay, go full nerd, Nicole. Bring it on. So my senior year of college, I did take a Jane Austen class. Ooh. Like, full on. All we did was Jane Austen and her contemporaries. So I apologize. <laughs> for how nerdy I might get throughout this entire conversation. Did she have many um, female contemporaries? Is that the Not Bronte sisters? Female. Not really. Um, like, Because the Bronte sisters were kind of dying at this point. As they or were no, before her. I know she, she started writing when she was like 15, which I think is why we all kind of see it as like, the cute little rom-coms because when she was writing them she was a relatively young girl um like i'm trying to trying to pull back my 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 google device uh to find out how old she was when she actually wrote emma um but i know her first actual like published anything she was about 15 well, and don't get me wrong when I say cute little rom-coms. Like, I oh, yeah. love cute little rom-coms, but I also don't think that um, we need to be reductive in calling it a rom-com. Like, um, I think Emma especially, um, obviously, like, like most women, Pride and Prejudice is the one that I know really well, and I'm, I'm not as familiar with Emma, but my understanding of Emma is, I think it's, like, a really beautiful character portrait, and it's, like, I don't know that the, the rest of the world of Emma is fleshed out uh, with the same uh, interest level as, say, the supporting cast in Pride and Prejudice, but Emma has such a, and it, this is reflected in Clueless, such an interesting central portrait. 
um, of just like one person seen with um, both a sort of loving and critical lens, which I think is really difficult for a writer to do um, sort of simultaneously with their main character. And I think that that is something that makes Emma really special and comes through in the 2020 movie, but then also I do think comes out really nicely in Cher. Um, though there's one, what I would call the defining moment for the character in the book and most movie adaptations of Emma, that's straight Emma. Um, there's a moment where she says something quite um, unkind to another character who's of lower status than her. And what it is really is it's an unkindness. It's the sort of thing she says because she thinks she's being funny. And it's an incredibly relatable moment of sort of like casual bullying that you didn't think of as bullying when it came out of your mouth because you thought it was funny, but that it was unkind. And in Clueless, it's um, casual racism, which was yeah. an interesting, mm. um, and then because like the point of it is to get that idea of Josh being disappointed in her and ask, expecting more of herself and that sort of thing. But it was an interesting translation moment, right? That, that like wasn't quite as subtle um, and a lot harsher, which is an yeah. interesting... I don't know. Maybe that's a, because the movie's a little bit dated, but the casual racism was a lot for me. That, that could probably be a part of it that's a little dated. Because um, I know they're, they're obviously trying to get some, we'll call it character flaw for lack of a nicer term, uh, with Cher, especially in relation to Emma Woodhouse. Um, also, I was wrong. She was not young when she wrote this. She was 36. Um, hey, that's still young. <laughs> okay, but when she dies at like 40. Okay, fine. Oof. Fine. Yeah, I'm like, I'm pulling up the Wikipedia page on Jane Austen. I'm just, like, you don't get to be the youngest one on the call and then call 36-year-olds old. It's just like a little, <laughs> no, a little touchy, okay? She died at 41. Okay. <laughs> she died at 41. Ooh, Which is also young. Speaking. Yes, it is very young. <laughs> that is also young, but, but that I think relation, is point. <laughs> she relation. died at 41 and wrote all of that. Right. Wow, good job. This, like I said, she was writing the Juvenilia when she was like 15. It was insanity, and it is incredibly well written. Um, but I like that there are there are more subtle character flaws in Emma, and they're much more obvious in Cher. Um, but I think that they needed to come out with the obvious stuff with her so that people would be like, she's perfect the way she is, instead of, well, they would be like, oh, she had something to change. Josh was a little bit right here, instead of everybody going, no, she's perfect. Yeah. I do think Josh is also tricky. I think that um, the character's name is Knightley. Is that right? In the, in the book or something like that. Something like, it's something Knightley. Yeah. George Knightley. Yeah. So he, he, I think is a little bit easier to love in terms of like what he actually says and does. Um, whereas Josh is really very pretentious, but the trick is um, casting <laughs> because it's impossible to not right exactly like it's it is sort of the whole movie he's just kind of picking on her and she's not really doing anything wrong but he keeps calling her vapid and all this stuff but it's paul red so you can't get mad at him right and it's paul red with the same exact face as now uh 25 years later i don't know he even seems younger now than he did when the movie first came out well, because he's got that Marvel look now. Yes. He used to be sort of sidekicky, and now he's like Mr. Mainstream Hot Guy. I know. <laughs> I mean, they finally realized Paul Rudd 
is an attractive individual who should be well, center at all times. Sidekicky guys are attractive. <laughs> no, also, I mean, a lot of sidekicky guys are, but not every one of them gets noticed. True, true. This is true. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> but focused on the fact that they're sidekicky, that they don't imagine like the Paul Rudds could actually be leading man's. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, I do, and yet he's the romantic lead in this movie. Thank um, God. So who knows? Who knows? Because I but, don't know how well Josh would have played off if it was anyone less likable. Yeah. Yeah. If he was, if they'd gone with someone a little bit harsh, it, I I don't know that I would have been rooting for them, especially because it is kind of like a weird, like he's her stepbrother and he's right. a lot older, which. Right. You know, when you're 30 and 35, it doesn't really matter. But when you're 16 and 21, that's a lot to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It is kind of a weird, but you, you feel so safe with Paul Rudd that you're just like, yes. oh, it's fine. It's just, they're happy. Let them be happy. Don't worry about it. Which I think was the problem that I had with uh, Jeremy, who plays Elton. If you had Jeremy Sisto. Jeremy, yes. If you mm. take Jeremy Sisto and put him in, jo- in the role of Josh, I don't think it would have worked if... Oh. If you had like Paul as Elton mm-hmm. and Josh or Jeremy as Josh. Yeah. No, like, this is a beautifully cast film, actually. Oh, it really is. Mm-hmm. Like everybody down, like Donald Faison's fantastic. Yes. Like every single person. I think even Stacey, Stacey Dash, who later revealed herself to be a total crazy person, is really good as Dion. <laughs> yes. But Brittany Murphy, she was oh, like. R.I.P. She made the movie for me. It took like I haven't. I only saw it once. I think probably fifteen plus years ago, and I remembered very little. And just going into this, like she to me was like the heart of the movie. She was just so so good. Mm-hmm. Wholeheartedly agree. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she delivers probably the greatest diss in cinematic history. <laughs> You're a virgin <laughs> who can't <laughs> drive. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, 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 no. That's not cinematic history, Susan. That's all his old time. <laughs> there yeah. have been many centuries of human history that is still the bestest. <laughs> yeah. See, that's something that I think Clueless does that is not as much in Emma, if I'm remembering correctly, is more of that sort of conflict between her and it's Harriet, right? That's the main character, the character's name who's Ty here. I believe so, yeah. I think it's Harriet. Um, I don't remember there being, I remember there's a thing where she's, she like thinks she's into Knightley and all that kind of stuff, but the actual conflict between them and sort of the whole incident at the mall where she, where Ty's sort of playing the damsel in distress up, all of that stuff I thought was something that they very insightfully added to Emma because the the potential of it was there. And I feel like um, when you take the sort of, um, literal class system out of it and just impose sort of a high school class system which is a little bit more movable um that was a really interesting insight for them to do for an updated version is add that extra layer of conflict i think that's very very accurate especially when you think about the time periods that they were both conceived um you kind of had to be a little bit more overt in the 90s than you did in the time where everyone used fans to communicate with each other and like coy, <laughs> coy looks like. <laughs> Is that so, coy? I'm sorry, that was your coy look. <laughs> it four years. I don't. It was know like a McGonagall sort of like a stern <laughs> glass. I'm down. sure if I brought him in here, he'd agree. That <laughs> helped. 
<laughs> by Michael. So, yes. But for people who, who are really unfamiliar with Emma, how did you feel about the, the storytelling in general? Did you feel like you were missing something with this idea that we all knew that there was some sort of roadmap to this plot or no? Like, I still knowing nothing about Emma and very little to nothing about Jane Austen was watching it the whole time thinking in the back of my mind, like what, what are the plot points that could be potentially mirrored in like a piece of classic literature up against what I'm seeing right now? Cause it just, it reads me very much as just like a standard teen comedy with just popular kids navigating their lives and ending up more or less in the same place that they started maybe slightly changed for the better but in no like groundbreaking significant way mm -hmm. oh interesting so like you came away from it and then you found out after seeing it that it was based on an old novel and you well i i kind of knew going into it i just not having the context for like what it was actually based off of i just was thinking to myself the entire time like based on what I know of other types of literature from roughly that same time period, like what are the beats and what are the story points and the character types that I'm seeing right now that could potentially have been mined from something of that era. So it makes me want to examine Emma more so and then just see what, see what I'm missing. It's a good I guess. read. I, yeah. I feel like without the context of Emma, it just, kind of falls flat for me like it's it's an really? okay movie yeah strong, i know strong. i know strong words strong words uh like there are some things that are really really great about it and it kind of reminded me of when i started doing rewatches of sabrina the teenage witch because i love salem the cat so i went back mostly for salem but i remembered it being this incredible hilarious show like as a 10 year old and it was still really funny, but like the thing that stood out to me the most when I was going back to Sabrina was that like the core title character, like Melissa Joan Hart, was not that good, like in terms of acting, but everyone around her was so top notch. Like the supporting cast just carried that show. And like the level of versatility that they had was amazing. And it was pretty well the same thing watching this. Like I loved all of the supporting characters, like uh, the Becklin Meyer character and Brittany Murphy, and the teachers, like everyone around her, I found so much more engaging than actual Cher, even though like I didn't dislike her, but eh, like, I also feel like I've kind of been spoiled by having movies like Mean Girls now in my life where I think the Cher type character, like the Lindsay Lohan is so well acted, like on the same level as the cast that's surrounding her that yeah, that was just kind of the quality that was missing for me with Cher. Not to like hate on Alicia Silverstone or Cher, but I felt like there was a bit of a piece missing that I would have liked. Well, that Travis speech about how much he appreciates McDonald's really yes. changed a few things. Yes. Yeah, he was so lovely. Breckin Meyer is hey, awesome I in this love movie. Breckin Meyer. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's an interesting take. I, I would agree that Alicia Silverstone is maybe not the strongest actress. Um, interesting that the specific comparison is Lindsay Lohan. Um, yeah. But uh, oh, Lindsay's a great. Lindsay is such a good actor when she like has her stuff together. But yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I like Freaky Friday. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, 
Yeah. And also Sabrina doesn't, the writing doesn't hold up as much as True. you want it to. Whereas Boy Meets World in a rewatch, the writing does hold Ooh. up, at least in the early seasons. Good to Very much yeah. so. Um, but I think the writing here is so strong um, that I am able to get past any of the sort of superficiality in the central performance. Hmm. Um, because I do think just like on a dialogue level and then on a thematic level, and because they were building on top of the plot that already existed, I just hmm. think the, the movie works so well. Um, right. And you know, she, because she is so heightened, it doesn't any sort of lack of grounding that Alicia Silverstone has to her doesn't bother me quite as much though. I can understand the point certainly. And when it comes to Emma, Emma, you need like your lead is your thing. Right. It's like a Hamlet thing where like if your Hamlet isn't good, it doesn't matter how good Horatio is. Right. right. I think almost that Alicia Silverstone maybe isn't on the same level is kind of a good thing with her character. She's supposed to be just Cher. She's supposed right. to be the one that her father generally writes off unless she's arguing for her grades um, she's supposed to be the one that Josh makes fun of. She's supposed to be the vapid chick that everyone at school is kind of like, what the hell is with this person? So the fact that she is maybe not the most stellar in this isn't necessarily a bad thing when you consider why, why her character is the way she is and how her character has to be in order for us to really receive her the way I think we're supposed to. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would agree that it's a limited performance, but I don't think the performance requires more. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. But you're right, like in terms of sort of star power and someone just like reaching through the screen and grabbing your heart, Brittany Murphy really mm -hmm. is the one, who, and Breckin Meyer for me is the one who sort of pulls me through. I also think Jeremy Sisto, though you're not supposed to like him, yeah. is fantastic in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Although he's fantastic always, like 16 under forever, like he's the best. Um, but yeah, he's so, yeah, he's so good. And then going back and watching it sort of knowing Clueless and knowing Emma, um, there are lots of details early on to sort of tell you exactly where his head is at, but then you just want so badly for Brittany Murphy to be happy that you kind of buy it. And then he does like one or two kind things for her. And you're like, well, maybe he's a good guy. He's really, maybe we misunderstood. And, uh, like, it's an interesting performance, especially knowing um, how it turns out, watching how they layer it in throughout. Um, and same thing with Christian with the reveal there. Oh, I loved that. The way they have him interacting with men specifically through the whole show is, or through whole, the whole movie is interesting. Though my roommate did say that was the one thing that he found not believable is a gay 15 year old opening the door to 1995 Paul Rudd and being cool. <laughs> you know what this is fair like well, that, that didn't it struck a false note except to go back to what we were talking about with the like sidekicky thing i think yeah. the idea yeah. with casting paul rudd at the time was that he wasn't the hot guy like he's hot in that sort of like seth cohen's hot and we all know he is and like let's stop pretending that he isn't yeah but like he's not supposed to be as hot as the guy playing Christian or Jeremy Sisto. Like he's supposed to be the guy you don't necessarily know is hot until you like fall in love with the fact that he's really smart and interesting and funny and there for you. And then you look at him one day and you're like, wait a minute, is Josh hot? <laughs> and I Paul rutted in a completely different way than most other people. Like he was in my mind, the hottest person in the movie. So 
I might be doing things backwards. That's a taste thing. That's like a, like millennial women are really into this. Like I always, I call it my Seth, my Seth Cohen speech. Like I've given all my nerdy male friends this speech about how millennial women were reshaped forever by Seth Cohen. And like, we are naturally, generally to do a gross generalization, more attracted to the Paul Rudds than to the Christians. I don't know his name. I'm sorry, actor whose name, I don't know. Um, not that he's listening. He might be. Maybe he's the guy who looks up all clueless content. Um, <laughs> that's gonna bother me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, gonna <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like that, like I think that's a you thing and it, it's related to your generation, but like where this movie was coming from, the idea of not noticing Paul Rudd immediately and being like, he's so cute, purely visually speaking, was where the movie was coming from. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. Justin Walker. Okay. Play Christian. Did he do? Does he have further credits beyond Clueless? Hold, please. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I got this. Other work. Okay, here we go. Not ones that you can click on. Oh, no. That speaks volumes. He was in Humanoids from the Deep the following year. Um, a TV series called VIP, but only for one episode. The X show as a co-host for one year. And then most of it is like, Clueless, Class of 95, Clueless, Language Arts, Clueless, Fashion 101. So, sorry, Justin Walker, you deserve better. He didn't even do Clueless, the TV show. I, th- I, th- I think it was like subsets of that because it's like it says clueless the class of 95 clueless language arts clueless fashion 101 clueless weird history so i are think those like direct to direct to video sequels or are they like they sound like video games they're listed as documentaries oh okay so, like retrospective kind of things because the I tv suppose. show i used to watch the clueless tv show and Donald Faison is in it. He's the, I think he's the only, oh, maybe Stacey Dash. Um, but certainly the main, main people were not there. Um, but then what's interesting is that you brought up Sabrina. The guy. Yeah, it came on after Sabrina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And didn't they share an actor? I want to say Josh on that was on Sabrina or something like that. There was some sort of, oh, no, no, Josh on. No, I'm just fixing them up because there was a guy named Josh on Sabrina. But there was yes. Josh on um, the, the Clueless TV show was that really cute guy who's in center stage and he gets Maureen to eat the pizza. Yes. Uh, yeah. Jim, is it Jim Gordon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's I also in Band that. of Brothers. Yes. Yeah. So he, was, he was the like fake, uh, fake Paul Rudd, if I remember correctly. Fair enough. That, that tracks. Yeah, he's a, he's like he fake Paul Rudd is his hit for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now this one, although I did, I, I felt like you should know that this next credit was in two thousand one. I shaved my crotch for this. Is that that's the title? That's yes. the title. His character was called Sam. Is Sam the one who saved shaved his crotch for this? I have no idea because you can't click on it. <laughs> The world will never know. This is all very upsetting. I know. Justin Walker deserved better than this. Did he? I don't know. But the rest of them had good careers. Was his hair doing most of the work, though? Like, was he good in this movie? Or was he just kind of like, 
right in this movie, which I guess can apply to everybody. That's fair. I mean, Brittany Murphy was definitely legitimately good. good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have some serious problems with perhaps the hair carrying the momentum here um, with not just him, but also with Alicia Silverstone. Oh, beautiful hair. Beautiful. Beautiful. Hair. <laughs> and Stacey Dash, for that matter. Again, beautiful hair. Yeah. But that was like a requirement for being in this movie. Is it was like about people with beautiful hair. Except Donald Faison, who shaves it all off. My favorite detail about da- Donald Faison in this movie is his braces. Because something about yes. um, teenage movies that always annoys me is how much they all look like adults. And even to this day, like, I look back at them as an adult, and I don't Great. think they look that young. Like, they still mm-hmm. feel like adults to me. Brace. Whereas, like, actual, I went to school with, like, a bunch of those, you know, those crazy beautiful girls or guys who look like they're in their 40s like they just seem like adults already but the vast majority of people were awkward and they had things like braces and pimples and so the little detail of him having braces was just perfect for me yes yeah because even the popular kids had braces i loved it that's how they got so beautiful my people (laughs) i'm like people with braces I mean, you know this one, Kelly. That was the back brace, glasses, headgear. It was not great for Nicole in high school. For so for me to have somebody who was like, "You're a cool person with braces," was so much more wonderful to me. The kid whose torso you could knock on to create sound. <laughs> it was so bad. So, yeah. In that respect, I totally get you. <laughs> but I just, I just liked that. I did like that detail. Um, and similarly, I liked that, like, they did a little thing about how, like, Cher is still a virgin in high school. And that's totally normal and fine. And, like, let's all relax about it. Mm-hmm. And things like worrying about driving and all that stuff. Like, it, it had a, a real high schoolness to it that a lot of high yeah. school movies just don't have. A hundred percent running over stop signs and stuff yes i'm an extremely anxious driver and so this movie just like the freeway passage i was just like (gasps) (laughs) and then i love that she has like a revelation like getting off the freeway really meant like it really refocused my life (laughs) she was so grateful to get off the freeway (laughs) when you're on the freeway you don't think you'll ever be off the freeway (laughs) oh share oh my goodness I also love the idea of her being a lawyer like she's not oh just because you're a lawyer yes because I'm like wait a second this person if she can do it I can do it hey I feel like you're being a little judgmental of Elle Woods right now because Elle Woods is an amazing lawyer Elle Woods is definitely an amazing lawyer it has nothing to do with hair color it has everything to do with personality I would say mm-hmm. those two are very similar archetypes, though. True. Like, it's just that Cher is, first of all, a whole four-year, uh, 4.0 fashion merchandising degree younger than Elle Woods. <laughs> but Except other than that... Cher doesn't work for the grades other than going in to True. negotiate for them. 
So she, no, she has hard. a 98 in geometry we, before she has to negotiate. She just has to negotiate debate. And I think if you can go into your debate teacher and successfully negotiate your grade in debate up from a C to an A minus, you deserve that A minus in debate. True. You can't do that in biology. But in Fair. debate, that is, a, that is a useful, relatable skill relevant to debate. Fair enough. Like I always say that the skills I actually learned in high school that are completely invaluable in my life are things like procrastination and like are um, getting my teachers to do what I want and like getting them to believe my excuses and all of those kind of things that like allow me to function in life and work really fast because I would always do my paper the night before. Like things that are quote unquote bad study habits are actually the like life skills that I developed that are relevant to my life. I think Kelly just lawyered me. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. So uh, I'm a, a TV critic, um, but sorry <laughs> about your law degree. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I love what I do. But, you know, <laughs> it's one of those that I'm like, Sometimes people are as good at it as I am. <laughs> hey, my favorite movie of all time is about lawyers. And I have that. So I, if you go to film school and your favorite movie is about lawyers, then you basically just have a law degree, right? Yeah, Does that work? Yes. yes. People with film degrees have degrees in everything that everything a film true. has ever been made about. Yes. It's true. A hundred percent. That's Love a thing. Especially because I'm sure I've watched them with you, like around the time that I decided to be one. Very possible, because uh, A Few Good Men is one of those movies that yeah. if I find out you haven't seen it, I order you, you to see it. it. Yep. Oh, yep. I haven't seen it. I've seen <gasps> it play. I've, yeah, I know. I also but haven't I've, seen it. <laughs> guys. Add it to the list. Guys, it's not on Netflix. Oh, I'll, so, I'll pay the three ninety nine on Google Play. I mean, you guys are in Toronto. You can like, I'll leave it at my front desk, and you can come socially distance, <laughs> grab it, and like borrow it on like a rotation DVD rental thing. <laughs> um, it's the greatest oh. movie of all time. Uh, no. Oh, well. is that your favorite movie about lawyers? Yes. Oh, I I was thinking Legally Blonde. I no, love that. That's also a good movie, but it's not my favorite movie. Mm, Although that was one of those those movies that I had sort of like at the beginning of DVDs when everyone owned like four because we mm. were 13 and like it was like a precious yeah. thing and like were really expensive. Legally Blonde was like a formative DVD that I had and watched over and over again and have seen every special feature multiple times. <laughs> like, the annoying thing with that DVD was that the movie audio cut out during the commentary so you couldn't hear like the dialogue from the film under the filmmakers talking. I don't I know like why that stayed that. with me. No, isn't that not? I prefer that too. Because then oh, really? I don't have multiple like lines of dialogue. And theoretically, if I'm if I've made it all the way to the audio commentary, I know this True. movie really well. Right. And I know what they're saying. Right. Well, fair. I, I like to feel like I'm watching it with them, so that I can kind of watch the movie. So I'm, like I can watch it on two levels. But yeah, my brain like likes lots of things to happen at once. Okay. I'm pretty sure, like, I could watch, I could probably do audio commentary on Clueless because I've seen it so many times that at this point I, I remember all the disses, I remember all the lines where I'm like, hoo 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 Um, so I almost kind of want to find that now. 
Like the audio commentary? I think the, I've, I've seen the audio commentary on Clueless. I remember it being pretty good. Oh, good. <laughs> Especially because it is, it's a, it's one of the rare films from this era that's from like a legit female auteur. Like right. writer, director, mm. she did it both herself. Like, and like they assigned her, like you have to do a high school movie. And so she, and she built it up. Like everything about it is her movie, her vision, um, which is, is sort of a rare film I think I've, I have this theory in general that a lot of um sort of like big studio quote-unquote like fluffy movies are actually really worth dissecting as you can see I like literally programmed it into a movie club discussion um but I like I do think that people generally think of like like I always say bring it on is about race relations which it just blatantly is mm -hmm. um so everything is worth really looking into. And so even though she sort of got this from the studio, this assignment to do a fluff movie, I think she really put a lot of thought into it and it has a lot to say. And there are a lot of tiny details, like the language of Clueless is so precise. They developed their own slang, yeah. like Barneys and Monets and Baldwins and Bettys and all of that stuff is yes. so specific. Um, I and love a lot, like the like, way that the casting informs the characters i love that they her dad is basically like a mob movie guy like all the all the little details of the world i think are so beautifully brought together in a way that um rewards multiple viewings and viewing it over the years and letting it live for 25 years and then revisiting it um in a way that a lot of movies kind of don't from that era some of them are just like best left where they were right i agree I agree wholeheartedly. This one's definitely one of them. And and a lot of it because it aged like a fine wine. <laughs> you just That's wanted to bring up wine say. again. It's always about the wine. I'm kidding. It's not always about the wine, but it helps to have wine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the wine is getting me through. Okay. <laughs> yeah, both Matt and I have been drinking Diet Coke the whole episode. <laughs> I mean... I didn't say this episode. I just meant in general, this quarantine period has seen many bottles of wine go. Hey, I'm having a ball. I spent my day casting King Lear with like all-star Canadian theater talent. Nice. I'm just having a great time. Dude, <laughs> great time. So cool. I'm more social than ever. I'm like culturally rewarded. I love ball. It. It's basically because everyone's just living a Kelly style life now. Right. But that means that now their lives are compatible with my lives. And all of a sudden my friends are free <laughs> to do things love like it. read Shakespeare for three hours on a Tuesday. I mean, nice. awesome. <laughs> yeah. I have to be the homebody. That's why mm. we're currently, you can see my office, AKA the bedroom. <laughs> hey, whatever, whatever works. Does anyone have anything else to say about Clueless? It was it was nice to have an uplifting movie that yes. didn't make me scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're switching towards like a nicer schedule now. I know. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're doing we have another really one of my ones. favorite movies coming up. The Net. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on, rom com. Crazy, like, love, silliness with... Best Friend's Wedding? There it is. So my Best Friend's Wedding is in my top five, which I yeah. initially, I had initially scheduled it on April 6th because that was supposed to be our awards night. And I was like, I need to do something nice on that night so I'm not sad. 
But then I thought I should do a live stream for the awards. And then I thought maybe I don't want to because it's a lot to pull together in a couple days and the sixth is a lot closer than I thought it was. Um, So I don't know. I've changed the schedule. So now we just have the sixth off. But we are doing it. It was originally programmed on that day because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And another one that I think is like, kind of special and remarkably deep and beautifully made and shot on on location and like all sorts of great things worth a second look um so i'm excited for that we've got talented mr ripley's coming up i've never seen the net the net is the next one yeah i actually watched the talented mr ripley on a plane back from china this fall because i'm the cause of everything i watched i read station 11 on a cruise ship in china in on in the fall and i think i summoned this you might have yeah i think i did yeah. i might so, be apologize apologies to the to the universe yes um the universe is fine to the world to the earth specifically um but clueless was fun right yeah i like <laughs> I, I liked that we even though i didn't actually have the ability to watch it this time around um being able to talk about something fun that does have parallels of a very fun time in my life too. Like Jane Austen class, like I said, I'm a nerd. So I loved going to Jane Austen class and being able to kind of relive that was, was fun. <laughs> so nice. yay fondness. Yeah. Check out the new movie. It's got its moments. It's got a really good Emma. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say the adaptation is strong, but the, the, the central Anna Taylor joy, I believe her name is, she was really, really good. She's from thoroughbreds. So. We might have to see. I have my sincere doubts that someone will enjoy watching that with me. Hey, you got it. You've got to teach your significant other to enjoy female driven narratives. It's a really important feminist point. I mean, he does because he's dating me. (laughs) So at this point, I'm just saying, I'm just saying (laughs) you got to weed out all the men who refuse to see little women, all of them, just like that's a good deal breaker. Amazing. Right? There we go. But that's because yeah. Matt's great. <laughs> I, I appreciate well-made movies. There you go. Any genre. It's never the genre's fault. This is the thing, right? Um, so it is, it's, I, I, one of my favorite things is having sort of like deep, detailed conversations about fairly light populist uh, pop culture. So yeah. here we are. This is the new phase of Corona Movie Club is clueless and love clueless it. adjacent things. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will talk to you guys on Friday about the net, which I've never seen. So we will see. Really? Oh, I'm yeah. so <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.